Welcome to Fostering Solutions, a podcast that uplifts people and enterprises making positive impact in communities around the world. I'm your host, Dr. Michelle Foster. My guest today is Kezia Campbell Erskine. Kezia, how are you? I'm fine, thank you, Dr. Foster. How are you? Great, great. It's wonderful to have you in Fostering Solutions all the way from Guyana. How, how are things going in Guyana right now? <laughs> things are going pretty well. There's a lot happening, a lot to look forward to. Yes, yes, yes. The country's been going through some changes. Uh, yes. yes, Kezia and I are, are Guyanese by birth, and we actually went to the same high school in Guyana, Queen's College. She was a few years <laughs> behind me, but <laughs> all the same, we walked the same halls. So it's good to have her uh, on uh, Fostering Solutions with me. So tell the audience about yourself, Kezia. Who is Kezia Campbell Erskine? Well, as you mentioned, I was born and raised in Guyana, and I come from a very small, closely knit family. As a child, I was always very keen to help others and I showed great empathy. And I guess it was no surprise for most persons who knew me when I chose to pursue a career in law. It was a surprise to me. I made the decision at 19. And this was taking a, you know, diverting from the path of natural sciences where I initially wanted to pursue a career in medicine. Mm. But after I decided on law, you know, I, I just did not look back. Um, I was educated at the University of Guyana, secured a spot at the Hugh Wooding Law School. After I finished my undergrad, I went on to the Hugh Wooding Law School in Trinidad and Tobago to pursue my legal education certificate, which allows me to be admitted to the bar in Guyana and the rest of the English-speaking Caribbean. Once I was done and I got admitted in 2018, I was sure that I wanted to pursue a career in public international law. And this was primarily driven by a desire to contribute to development of Guyana and small states like Guyana. Mm -hmm. So I entered the public service and today I am the head of a legal division in the government agency. My work ranges from, on a given day, I can do anything related to from treaties law, maritime law, nuclear law, to law of the sea. It's very diverse, and that's one of the things I love most about it. I am the, I'm a wife. I am the daughter and sister that everybody calls on their best day, on their worst day. And I'm the friend who will all, who's always willing to tell you the things that you need to hear. Mm -hmm. That's always good to have some of those in your corner. <laughs> Yes, yes, yes. So now you're working and you know you've you've been studying. Now you're you're working in in in, in your um, legal career. Um any what has that journey been like so far? Any challenges you had to overcome um, in in your journey as an attorney? There have been many. Um I guess the, the, primary, the primary one that comes to mind is, you know, I was raised by my mom. I have two siblings. I'm the middle child. And I've always had very big dreams, very big goals. 
my mom would always say, go for it, we'll find a way. Hmm. But oftentimes they were so big that they came at huge cost. And, um, you know, I always, that was always one hurdle that confronted me. How do I fund this? How do I not add another burden um, to my mom? Mm-hmm. And, you know, when it was time for me to head into the Hewitt Law School, my, my tuition was a huge sum that we could not afford. Mm. And, um, you know, it, it took a lot of, a lot of prayer, a lot of resourcefulness to find funding. I was able to get a full scholarship. And my mom was really instrumental in guiding me along, pointing me to the right persons, helping me, you know, pen letters to get support and and so on. When I, when I, after I've I've been out for about four years, I was into practice and um, I decided I wanted to do a master's degree. But the field I wanted to do is with energy and environmental law, which I could not do in the Caribbean. So again, I needed to decide how do I fund studies in the United Kingdom where I found the perfect program. So I was looking at a few options, self-funding, loans, you know, what can I do? And again, I came across a really good scholarship program that afforded me the opportunity to go. But you know, that particular challenge has really taught me the importance of resourcefulness, the importance of research, and that there's always a way it doesn't really matter how hard something seems. There's always a way around it. And those experiences really affirm to me that I am on the right path. I am where I'm supposed to be. I'm doing what I've been called to do. Um, in addition to that, um, I've really had to work on, you know, from being a young girl to coming up to assuming leadership at a young age, building my confidence. Um, I was very shy I would speak when I have to, when I really, really need to, but other than that, I would be in a corner with all of my thoughts. And to be successful in this career, confidence and boldness are very critical. So I've had to, over the years, work on that. Some of the lessons were a bit hard, but I've learned them along the way. And, you know, as a young leader, I think most people in my situation are confronted with the fact that you're not often seen, because of your, your age is seen as a limitation. And I've had to deal with that in several circumstances. And I've really learned to affirm myself. I've worked very hard to prove competence and to prove that there's a lot of wisdom in youth. And, you know, I guess I could say I've been able to gain the respect of um, a lot of my senior peers because of that. Yeah, I hear a lot of themes there. I, I, I hear faith, I hear vision, and um, and just, you know, that um, a lot of that resonates with me, especially being quiet and reserved, too, and really having to push yourself forward. I, I, I see a lot of, of myself in that, and it reminds me of the, the visioning part is really about, reminds me that God will make a make provision when he gives the vision. So that that is that came to mind as you as you said that. That's awesome. And that your mom is right there encouraging you. That's that's wonderful. So you recently got back to Guyana after a year in 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 Britain, in Great Britain, uh, where you where you um, were a Shivening scholar. Tell me about that program. What was that experience like? 
The Achievement Scholarship Scheme is one of the most prestigious schemes in the world and one of the most competitive ones. I've heard about it uh, several years ago and it's, it's only for post-grad studies. So I knew once I was done with my undergrad, this is something I had on my radar. Achievement, however, looks for a specific profile of persons. They look for leaders in their communities, leaders in their countries, persons who can effect positive change. So for me, I was more or less sizing up to determine when was the best time to do this application because I really I knew this is what I wanted to do because the program has a really balanced focus on academic pursuits, but also the development of the person. You're able to do training, uh, personal development training, networking and mentorship schemes. So I really wanted achievement. So after being, um, you know, practicing law for about two years, I decided this was a good time to apply. Um, I was successful in the year I, I applied for 2021 to, 20, to 2022, and there were only five Guyanese chosen. And, you know, it was really a remarkable experience. I opted to go to the University of Aberdeen in Scotland. And one of the main reasons is I wanted to get away from England. I'd been there. I knew that the majority of persons would have chosen England, and I felt that Scotland was quite underrated. So I went to Scotland. I was one of probably four Caribbean achievers who went to Scotland. Everybody else, most persons chose England. And I really don't regret the decision. Now, Aberdeen was an amazing city and Scotland was simply breathtaking. I think for a lot of Caribbean persons, because they have maintained so much of the natural environment, um, it, it was really, it really felt a little bit like home, not the weather, it looked like home, but it did not feel like home. <laughs> so I really enjoyed, you know, just taking a year to focus on myself, to pursue a Master of Laws, to do some exploration. It allowed me to form some very formidable bonds with colleagues from the Caribbean, from North America and Europe. And I guess one of the, you know, one of the things I really held close to me was also the ability to share the experience with my loved ones, my husband visited twice and my mom came towards the end. So mm. being able to share that with them really means a lot to me. Wow, sounds like a wonderful experience. So how big was the program? How many, how many scholars were in your cohort? We had about 1600 from oh, wow. the world, but that was less, that was less than 10% of the persons who actually applied. Oh, wow. So very competitive. Yes. Awesome. You must, you must, I guess they must think you're special that you got in. That is wonderful. That is wonderful. Um, to when I first met you, you were leading a literacy initiative in Guyana. Tell you, tell the audience what that was about. How did it, you know, originate and what's the current status of that program? Yeah, so this was actually um, a really nice program started by some colleagues who went to my high school, Queens College. Um, it was a literacy and numeracy improvement program that was executed through a youth-led organization in Guyana called the Benap Foundation. Mm -hmm. And the aim was to, so we targeted a few schools in the capital city during the summer. It was executed for a few years. And we would work with children identified by their school as needing special help or special tuition in math and English to more or less prepare them for the new school, the new academic year. And 
you know, we were driven by our volunteers. We had volunteers, many of them who were university students, some were recent graduates who gave up their time to really help these children. We provided meals for the children and everything that they needed to participate in the program. Um, and it was something we really enjoyed and saw a lot of good results from. However, it's no longer uh, in operation, unfortunately. And that's primarily because it was driven, it was youth-led, and a lot of those young people have moved on to do different things. We have some who are now medical doctors, some who are attorneys. We have one person who is now in politics. So um, it has, I wouldn't say it has been discontinued. I would, to be on the safe side, say that there has been, you know, I guess a pause but I would not be surprised to see it resuscitated or done on a larger scale, maybe form part of a policy at some point. Yeah, that, that's great. Let, let's kind of talk about that because you never know what we can reignite because, you know, my, my, my road dogs, <laughs> Karen and Saren, we, we, we plan <laughs> to be in, now Saren is there all the time, but we, we can, Karen and I plan to go to visit Guyana next year and you know you know we you never know let's talk to see what we can maybe revive some aspects of it because I've got I have an interest also like my my mom's family was from Belladrum on the west coast so I've always you know I always have a heart for for that um for that area and my dad's family was from New Amsterdam so Oh, the Burbese, Burbese <laughs> is a special place for me. So we need to figure out maybe if we can revive some of that. I thought it was a very, very valuable initiative, very beneficial. Let's speak. Yeah, yes, yes, yes. So you you are a leader. You were a leader for, you know, as, as, a, as, a, as a youth. What do you think are some keys to effective leadership? I think it first starts with understanding, you know, what is your role as a leader? I think a lot of persons get caught up with the title, forgetting that leadership is first about service. And it, it, leadership has to be people-driven. The first and, you know, the primary concern has to be, how do I foster the growth and development of the people around me? It's, it's very difficult to get buy-in if you don't first focus on who you're trying to get the buy-in from. So what a leader is really primarily responsible for helping persons, helping them, you know, what am I asking them to do? What am I requiring of them? What do they need? What are they lacking? Are they comfortable? Am I listening to them? So it first has to be people-driven, understanding that you are first there to serve. I think the other, the other thing would be to have a very clear vision. You know, we know that a ship without a sail is, is very unlikely to get to its destination. So what are your goals? What is the strategic direction that you're taking, you know, a group, a community or a company in? Mm -hmm. If you don't know where you're going, it's, you know, no, who is following you and why are they following you? <laughs> yeah. um, and, you know, as a leader, you're a problem solver. You have to consistently be thinking, how, what are, what are the problems? How do I, what solutions are best suited? You have to be consistently thinking about, solving problems, not just identifying and passing the buck, but taking it by the reins and leading to determine how do I fix this issue. Mm -hmm. And, you know, finally, as a leader, in order for you to be effective, you have to be an eternal student. I often say, if you're in a group 
and you are the smartest, you have the most degrees, the most experience, you have the most money, you're the one who everybody comes to for advice, you are the person, then you're in the wrong group. You're, you're in the wrong group, space. absolutely. <laughs> you need to upgrade. So, yeah, you know, it's important to be continuously examining who you're surrounded by, because those persons do influence you. You need to be learning and drawing from persons around you. So you can't be the best at everything. You need to be in those uncomfortable situations where you don't know and somebody else knows. That's how we continue to learn. So true. So true. Absolutely. Lifelong learning. Yeah, lifelong learning for sure. So um, on your journey, what coaching or mentoring, I always you know, believe that we all get some mentoring along the way. Any coaching or mentoring yeah, you've received on your journey? been coached and I do have a mentor today um, but for me you know coaching and mentoring it looks like different things they are different yeah, yeah, yeah. they are different things. get caught up thinking that I need to you need to have a lifelong mentor where you can pick up the phone and call if there's anything mm -hmm. but for me I've had several people who've been able to guide me along the way who've been able to offer advice um, most Guyanese know of the late retired justice Duke Pollard when I wasn't sure, I knew I wanted to do international law, but I said, I don't have to be a lawyer doing, you know, the local bar. I just want to do my undergrad and get a master's. He said, no. He said, you're going to finish. You're going to go to law school and then you can get your master's because you first need that certification. He said, once you're a lawyer, no one takes that from you. And he encouraged me. He said, your grades are good. Don't give this up. Go through the full process. He's one of the primary reasons that I went to Hewitting Law School because I knew I didn't want to practice in the local courts. And, you know, he shared so much of his career. He's an international lawyer who never practiced in the local courts, who rose to being a judge and, you know, one of the greatest legal minds ever produced by Guyana. And I've always followed his journey very closely. And he's always encouraged me to keep, you know, keep with it. It's not something that the average lawyer will do but it was definitely something worth pursuing. So he was always there as a symbol of what is possible for me. And, you know, along the way, as I entered the legal profession, balance, balancing that with um, for the foreign service, I've always drawn on seasoned diplomats uh, where I work to get advice from them because that's not that's something I'm completely new to. Mm -hmm. And I never, I never hesitate to pick up the phone and to ask, how do I approach this situation? How should I phrase this? I know what the law is, but I, I, I need to say it in a very diplomatic way. What should I say? <laughs> and, um, you know, I've been fortunate everywhere, every opportunity I have, I, I'm a networker. I love networking. So I always look to create bonds, to make contacts. And a couple of years ago, I was on a training in international law in Chile. And I met um, a young international lawyer. His name is Professor, Professor Dabo Kande. He's Nigerian, but he lectures at the University of Oxford. And from 2019 to now, we've remained in touch. And if I'm ever faced with a difficult question, a difficult legal question, he's always there. And at one point, my work is so diverse. Sometimes it can feel a little overwhelming. I called him and I said, how as an international lawyer do you really manage to be, to have a command of so many areas of the law at any given time? 
And he really guided me through, these are the things that you need to do to remain on top of it. And he said something to me that I will never forget. He said, it's not easy. He said, what you feel, we all feel it. It's not mm -hmm. easy. And that's the importance, you know, of really having a mentor, someone who's walked the path that you're now walking, who you can refer to. And they can reassure you that, you know, what you're going through is not unusual, but it's just part of the process. So mentorship has really taken different forms for me, but I always seek opportunities to, to get guidance, to ask questions because nobody knows everything. And I am very young into this, you know, it's, it's still the start of my career. So I recognize the importance of, you know, getting advice. <laughs> Awesome. Yeah, we can always learn from someone else. And it's just, I guess, understanding that everyone goes through, it's no one really knows everything. And just having that, that reassurance, that encouragement, yes. really, you know, help you over the hump. So but you know, you, you haven't been not that you have left high school that long, but <laughs> what have you learned? Like, what, what do you know now that you wish you knew when you first left? Queens College? Leaving with all my very, very big goals, mm -hmm. a lot of plans. I'm a planner. Um, I wish I knew that, you know, success requires great courage and adaptability. I would have worried less. <laughs> a lot of situations that confronted me would have been less stressful if I understood that the hurdles were just part of the journey, they were necessary parts of my growth. If I knew that, I think I would have um, faced them with a little more courage and you know, not had to learn stress management in my early twenties. <laughs> oh yes, 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 yes. So, you know, you have a, a full life as, as a, a wife and an and attorney. What do you do for fun? Hopefully you're having some fun in there, Kezia. Oh, I have a lot of fun. Like I said, I learned the importance of stress management very early. <laughs> so self-care is very important for me. It, it's a huge catchphrase now, but it's something that, you know, I've, I have to learn is a really important part of my, my health and well-being. So I'm a city girl, but I love getting out of the city. I love exploring. I love, you know, just seeing new parts of Guyana. So I, you know, I'm often on a road trip. I love the outdoors. So I get outside. I am on road trips. I'm taking staycations. I'm running in the park. You know, once nice. I'm outside, yeah, I get out. Once I need fresh air. So, you know, I enjoy the outdoors and, you know, I'm equally a foodie. Um, so I'm, uh, I, I'm often in the kitchen whipping up a new creation or sampling new restaurants with my husband and my family. So yeah, I, I like to, you know, I like to enjoy life. Just want to make sure you, you, you got some balance. Yes. Yeah. I, I, I know in, in Guyana, cause we grew up on the, on the coast. So whenever I visit, I try to go to Essequibo or something. It's almost like a different country. Yes. It's, it's yes. so beautiful. So beautiful. So we we're living in, in challenging times, you know, here in the States and Guyana everywhere, the pandemic and, and the economy, all those challenges. 
as you as you look to the future, what gives you hope? It could be tough to think about the present and the future. Mm -hmm. When we see what's happening around the world and we see what's happening in our communities. But you know what gives me hope is my faith in God, knowing mm -hmm. his promises and remembering his promises. That keeps me grounded. And the other thing would be children. Okay, yes. I love working with children. I love being with children. I teach Sunday school and I'm a youth leader at my local church. Mm -hmm. And the next generation gives me hope. When you see their eyes, when you see their you're yearning to learn, when you see how inquisitive and curious they are, and you see their innocence, that gives me a lot of hope. I have confidence that you know every generation's responsibility is to do better than the last generation. Mm -hmm. And children, the smiles and the eyes, the faces of children, that gives me a lot of hope for the future. Yeah, yeah. Our children are our heritage. Absolutely, yeah. absolutely. So what's next for you? What's next for Kezia? <laughs> well, you know, just being four years into my career, my focus is now really to continue to broaden my horizons a bit. Um, really solidify myself in my role um, and explore more of the field of international law. I, I also have not done a lot of community work um, in recent years because my focus has been on doing my education and building a career. And that's one of the primary uh, focuses that I'll have over the Indian in, audition in the near future, over the next few years, to get back into community service, because I love that. Um, I've done, I did that for at least 10 years as a young person, and I really miss it. So I would be, you know, looking at some community projects, working with some local groups, and seeing how best I can contribute in that way. Yes, absolutely. I'm sure they'll, they would appreciate that. Absolutely. So thank you so much. The time has flown by. Uh, any parting words? No, it's it's just been a pleasure to be here. And I guess if there's anything I would want, you know, anyone listening to this to remember is that we're all made with a purpose. God has a purpose for each of our lives. It's important to find that purpose and to relentlessly pursue it. It could be difficult, but, you know, God's promises are through his words are through. If he gives you a vision, like you said, he'll make the provision. So I guess I just want to encourage anyone to just go after whatever it is that God has placed um, in your heart, pursue it, and trust him to bring you to that expected end. Absolutely. Amen to that. Thank you so much, Kezia. Thank you for having me. Mm -hmm.